Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and happy new year and welcome to episode 731 with Eilat Fishbach. If you happen to set some resolutions or maybe you've avoided setting resolutions because you just know your motivation is going to dip, well, our guest has loads of research-based insights on how to harness your motivation as well as that of others using the very best science. You'll learn one, the top variable for motivation, two, how to find motivation when you're just not feeling it. And three, how to make incentives really work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links as we referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP731. And if you're new to the show, welcome, welcome. I think that January bump is something we see year after year, and it's so good to have you. Please check out the website. We've got a lot of really cool stuff, such as the full text transcripts and every episode tagged by the topics and competencies covered. Gold Nugget email summaries, which provide an actionable a write-up summary of the wisdom the guest shares in an email you can read in about two or three minutes, as well as unlocking the whole vault. Of all such summaries, 731 of them, you don't have to read them all at once, but we got a lot of goodies for you over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Eilat's story. Eilat Fischbach is a psychologist and a professor at the University of Chicago. She's the past president of the Society for the Study of Motivation. She's an expert on motivation and decision-making and is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. Eilat's groundbreaking research on human motivation has won her several international awards, including the Society of Experimental Social Psychology's Best Dissertation Award and Career Trajectory Award and the Fulbright Educational Foundation Award. Big thanks to Eilat for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And here she is. Islet, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm excited to talk about motivation with you. And first, though, I need to hear about your nine-year-old calls you an expert on how to fail. Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I shared uh, this story with you Uh doing my own things at home and my son is uh, playing video games and this is not when you usually expect parents to, to do anything like this is what we let our kids do so that we can do something else okay so mm -hmm. he's playing these video games and the, the monster keeps killing him and he's getting very frustrated as, as you know <laughs> like you know like these monsters are terrible they're just like uh, uh, killing those innocent kids on in, in their video games 
Uh, and, and I can see that he almost has tears in his eyes. So, you know, we, we ask him, like the entire family, like, do you want someone to be there with you? And then my uh, daughter uh, suggested he, uh, that she will sit with him so that um, he uh, uh, can better uh, cope with those monsters. And he replied saying that he wants uh, mom to sit with him because uh, I uh, know how to fail better than anybody else. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I was proud. So with him in the failure zone, he's like, you are sort of the expert to assist in that territory. Is that the vibe? (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, I have a lot of experience uh, with uh, learning from failure, and I uh, I think I take it to heart, but not as much as he does. So he realizes that if I'm around, we are probably going to make fun of this and, uh, and not take it too much to heart. Well, that is that is kind words and, and something to remember, maybe even uh, in, in tough times. So I, I'm excited to talk about Motivation in your book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. And maybe to kick us off, one of my favorite questions is to hear, when you're researching a topic for many years, what's among the most surprising and fascinating discoveries you've made about human motivation? We found that uh, uh, giving advice is uh, more motivating than uh, getting uh, great advice uh, from the expert. So if I give advice, I'll be motivated more so than if I receive advice. Uh, yes. Okay. And, uh, and, and that was uh, kind of uh, cool to us. I mean, we, we predicted that, but uh, still it was um, nice to, to see that it doesn't matter uh, what, uh, what is the domain, whether it's uh, controlling your finance or finding a job or controlling your weight or uh, studying. Uh, those who are struggling are more motivated by giving someone's advice than by uh, uh, getting uh, advice back. Which was nice. Uh, we uh, we found that what uh, predicts uh, adherence to basically any goal, and in particular now we are looking at New Year's resolutions because it's soon, is uh, uh, how much people are enthusiastic about doing the thing, how much they enjoy doing the thing, and not uh, how important it is. Hmm. Which was surprising for us because you do something. You set a resolution because it is important, not because it is fun to do. Uh, nevertheless, how important that is for you to predict so much. Yeah, well, well that's that's juicy. And, and at Katie Milkman, we had on the show in her book, How to Change, we t- talked a little bit about some of those principles in terms of being enjoyable. And, and, and that's sort of like old-fashioned exercise advice. What's the best exercise? The one you enjoy and you'll stick with. You know, I, I just like, okay, no, but seriously, what's going to, you know, get me faster or big muscles <laughs> or, or kind of whatever your outcome you're shooting for or lose weight, you name it. But there's something to it. The adherence is you're, you're telling me that that's the, the top variable you found for tracking adherence is how much you enjoy doing the thing? Uh, yes, and I basically think about it as, uh, as immediate rewards. And, uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned Katie Milkman because we uh, did our research independently and, and we did get to uh, similar conclusions. Yes, it's, it's how much you uh, get some immediate feedback that this is working, that this is enjoyable, that uh, you are in it. 
it's not just enjoyment. It could be something else that is immediate. Like it immediately makes me feel proud. Or mm-hmm. uh, uh, we recently uh, uh, published a paper uh, that found that even if it, if it, there is slight discomfort, if it's immediate, then that's better than nothing. Okay, so realizing that uh, that this is working because I feel like I, I'm slightly struggling is good. Okay? It motivates. Right. As opposed to, I think about supplements. <laughs> like, is this, even if it feels a little weird, it's like, okay, well, it's doing something <laughs> as opposed to just nothing. So that maybe gives you a, a dash of hope. And, and boy, it's funny, what, what comes to mind now is as we speak, I just happen to be in one of my best ever weightlifting grooves of my life. And I think that's exactly what's going on here is that because I've got some structural environmental things working in my favor, so I have some consistency and I've got a really lovely app called Rep Count, you know, which makes it so easy to to track what I'm what I'm doing. It's it's so exciting, rewarding, uh, fun to see, oh, I, I I bench press as much as I could last time and I could do this weight four times. Oh, but this time I could do it five times. So it's like, I am stronger than I've ever been before. Yes. It, it, it just feels fantastic. Um, and then, of course, exercise in its own endorphiny, positive, biochemically way does does what it does. But then I've got that immediate reward. So I, I really do. It gets me coming back again and again and again because I want to keep breaking records and feeling awesome each time I do, which at this stage in the game, thankfully, is almost every time. So I'm into it. And yeah, my adherence is high because my immediate positive, enjoyable feedback is high. Yeah, you actually mentioned our bunch of things that all uh, contribute to motivation. Ooh, unpack it for me. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, the one thing that you mentioned is that this is uh, immediate, okay? Like you, you do this and you immediately get the, uh, the feedback that this is working, that you just broke a record. Uh, and we know that whatever is immediate is much more motivated than some delayed outcomes that will happen in a week or a month or, you know, in a year. Then another thing that I like about your example is that you look back, okay, and you say, well, I only did three last week uh, and four earlier this week, and now I can do five. And looking back is often the way to keep yourself going. Okay. If you always look forward, then you, you you might never quite be where you want to be. So so that might be hard. And like we see, we often tell people like, look back, look at how much you have achieved. That will increase your commitment. In studies, like students that looked back were more motivated to study. In particular, when they were unsure whether they they want to do the thing. Customers uh, standing in line when they looked back, they appreciated more the thing that they were waiting for. Uh, and so looking back is is good. Uh, and then the last thing that you mentioned is having a numerical target, like I want to be at five or at six, um, which um, is also a very good strategy to motivate yourself. So you just found a combo. Oh, thank you. Well, well, I mean, it, it's it's working because I, I sometimes I find myself daydreaming about like like it's it's Tuesday evening as we speak. It's like oh boy, Wednesday is a weightlifting day. I, I'm already excited for tomorrow morning to to go to the gym. And 
I've had other times in my life where that was not at all <laughs> the situation with regard to thinking about the gym. Well, cool. Well, so we, we, we kind of got a little bit of hodgepodge of, of, of fun discoveries and in practice how they're working. So maybe you could share with us sort of the core thesis of your book, Get It Done, and any key principles that we, we haven't hit yet. All right. Yes. Uh, and so when I looked at the field of motivation, and I have been a motivational scientist for, for a long time. I thought that what is common to all the interventions, all these strategies that we develop, is that they they change the situation in order to change behavior. And so basically, if we wanted to change someone else's behavior, we would change their situation. We would change how we present the information to them or with uh, uh, whom they are going to do that the thing, or we are going to give them certain incentives to, to behave in one way, or you know, a, a punishment for behaving in another way. We can apply this to ourselves. Okay? We can be the person that shapes our own behavior if we systematically think about the situations in which we put ourselves and, and how we think about these situations. And I started with this, and then I looked at all the strategies that we have been studying for, for many years and thinking that they really fall into four buckets. And so when we think about changing our situation in order to motivate ourselves, first bucket or first element is setting a goal. Okay? How do we set a goal? Is it a motivating goal? Is it a do goal as opposed to a do not goal, which might seem urgent, but is not fun to pursue? Is it intrinsic goal? Everything on that. The second element is how do we monitor progress? Okay, Do we get feedback? Do we look back? Do we look forward? How do we learn from setbacks, from negative feedback? So all these interventions. The third element is what do we do with everything else? Okay, I I might plan to exercise, but I also uh, plan for other things for this early uh, uh, hour in the morning when I thought I would exercise. So that just doesn't work. How people design their environment for everything else. And then the last element is social support and all the interventions that uh, get uh, people to find other people that will help them. Beautiful. Well, so so that's a nice uh, menu there, uh, th- bits there to to work with. And so, boy, it seems like we talked a good bit about the the monitoring of of progress in our earlier example. L- let's talk a little bit about uh, setting a goal and such that it is a motivating one. I, I'm thinking we we recently interviewed Michael Bungay Stanier, who was talking about making goals really you know, juicy and uh, epic that, that gets you, get you going or worthy. What does the research suggest makes a goal more motivating versus less motivating? Uh, so, uh, yes, I, I agree that uh, uh, juicy is good. <laughs> a, a goal that is enticing. Uh, we uh, find that uh, uh, goals that, um, that are intrinsic, that feel good to pursue, uh, are motivating. We find that uh, goals that are challenging uh, are more motivating. Uh, and so ideally, you should think about setting a goal that you have maybe 80% chance of achieving on a daily basis. You will not always be successful, uh, but you will also not be so unsuccessful that you will give up. 
the error can be on both uh, uh, sides, and, and the, the studies show that when people are in this zone where they are not sure that they can do it, but if they work hard, they will. In this uncertain zone, this is where you see the energy level picks up. Uh, we want uh, uh, people to uh, set do goals more than do not goals or approach goals, not avoidance. The early research on this actually looked at thought suppression and Weissen described the study, it will seem intuitive. It is much easier to ask people to think about something than not to think about something. Right. I can ask you to think about brown bears. You can do this. Uh, if I ask you not to think about white bears, that's impossible. Okay. I can ask you to think about your current partner. You can do this if I ask you not to think about your ex. You think about your ex. Right? It's really hard not to do that. Indeed, do not goals are harder. They seem urgent. So if you want to do something immediately, then avoidance goals are, are maybe a good fit, but usually try to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Avoid the avoidance goals. Uh-huh. Uh, a number, put a number on it. It's mm-hmm. something that um, is pulling you toward it. Um, one, one of the nice studies on that looked at uh, marathon runners and marathon runners uh, uh, try to run the marathon under four hours. And so there are many more people that finish a marathon in three hours and 59 minutes than in four hours and one minute. I bet, yeah. Right, right? because it's just like you really want to do this under four hours. So you just mm-hmm. try to push very hard toward the end. Uh, and such a nice demonstration of the power of goals. So, so you mentioned uh, four key principles there. And one is sort of, what do we do with the other stuff? Like in the morning example, like there's other stuff that happens in the morning. What are some of the best practices there? So uh, uh, we never just want one thing. Okay. Uh, I would say that to begin with, we need to realize that we want several things simultaneously. And we can think about identifying activities that achieve several things simultaneously. And so that a good way to pursue a goal is such that you also get something else out of doing it. If uh, uh, you bike to work, you get your uh, commute and your exercise and saving money at the same time. Mm-hmm. Some activities help some goals, but interfere with other goals. Okay? Uh, if I make my lunch at home, uh, well, I will be eating healthily and I will save money, uh, but this is going to interfere with my goal to get to work on time because I have a lot to do in the morning and I'm slow. Right. Or socializing when the colleagues go out to Chipotle or wherever. Exactly. It's like, oh, right? I just have this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And, and, and so thinking about the impact that your action has on multiple goals is important. You know, so some activities achieve several goals and they are good. We call them multifinal. Okay. I you know sometimes refer to the, the saying, uh, feed uh, uh, two birds with one scone, if you will. <laughs> oh, it's very, this is very clever. <laughs> scone, stone. Wow. This is an original. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Some other activities are what we call uh, uh, equifinal. Okay, this is the all uh, roads lead to Rome. So there are several activities to achieve the same thing. And 
when you think about it superficially, it feels like, well, why do I need more than one path to pursue a goal? Why do I need another way of exercising, given that you just identified this thing that works so well for you? Well, we need that as a backup plan, and we need this to increase our confidence. And so when, when people identify several ways to do the same thing, they are more confident uh, one of the studies that I like found that for new uh, uh, gym goers, okay, new people at the gym, learning that there are many options to get their exercise increased their motivation. For those that have been there for a while, that doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, I already knew that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Understood. Okay. Exactly. And then social support. I mean, I'm all about accountability groups or people, you know, challenging and and inspiring and uh, being workout buddies or, or, or whatever. What, what are some of your top do's and don'ts when it comes to social support? There are a few ways in which we, th we should think about social support. Uh, there are some goals that we are doing with others and many of the important things that we do, we do with others. Okay? I do my research with others. I raise uh, uh, children with my spouse. I work uh, with uh, uh, colleagues. Uh, we, we do things with other people. And then we should think about how do we make sure that we are efficient in our division of labor, how to combat social loafing. And many of the, the strategies that uh, motivation scientists think about are meant to combat social loafing. How do we make sure that when several of us are doing something together, we are not doing less? Mm -hmm. now, the, the classic studies found that when you put a few people and ask them to do something, either to pull a rope or just make a lot of noise, more people, less work, okay? Yeah. Everybody's doing. Uh, and so we think about how to make contribution identifiable, uh, how to increase the, the identity of the person as a group member so that uh, uh, the presence of other people will not make them uh, work less hard. Yeah, this brings me back to to I think about band in in high school because I was I was pretty mediocre as a saxophonist, <laughs> you know, not, not the best, not the worst. But then, boy, when when there were times when each person had to individually go into the room and play the piece for the director. The practicing really happened because there there was no hiding in in the crowd as to the, the sound. It's like he knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. Not that he was going to scream at you, but uh, you didn't want to be, he just, he just didn't want to be the guy who didn't know how to play the stuff. That's just not a, a pleasant feeling. Yeah. So, you know, as long as you remember that you need to listen to these kids individually yeah, uh, sometime, uh, then you, you could keep the motivation high. Uh, if, uh, if it's hard to identify who's doing what, uh, then we, we tend to, uh, procrastinate. Yes. Then the other aspect of uh, social support is just the people that are helping you with your, your own goals, right? So they are there. They are role models. They, they want you to, uh, uh, to do well. You really need those people to keep going. It is uh, actually impossible to adhere to, to any goal when the people around you think that this is foolish or unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Well, so th these are some great principles, and I'd love it if, if you could help me get creative about uh, applying them into some career situations. I guess I'm thinking about the stuff that tends to get left behind. 
And maybe it's the the email inbox is is just never gonna never seems to hit zero, or maybe it's there's there's some strategic thinking and 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 things I want to run after, or, or maybe there's there's some goals that show up on my annual review and I never seem to find the time to actually a- advance them until it's a bit of a scramble, you know, towards before the next annual review. So, in, in these sorts of of fuzzy things that that might be hard to put a number on, et cetera, and, and might not even be things we are interested in intrinsically. How, how do we work some magic to, to tap into an extra level of motivation on the tricky ones? So these are ongoing goals. The problem with email is exactly as you mentioned, it never ends. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you might get to uh, zero emails at some time in your life. It will probably last to like 30 seconds. Right. And so, so it's really just uh, keep doing it. it it's not uh, uh, reaching the end of it. When goals don't have a clear beginning or end, they are uh, much harder to, to pursue. I uh, talk in the book about the middle problem is which happens for goals that do have a beginning and end, but in the middle, motivation is uh, not great. Okay? Like I started the project, I was all into it. I'm about to submit the project. I'm super energized, but in the month and is in between, I can bring myself to, to work on that uh, uh, thing. This is hard. In our uh, studies, we found that, uh, that the people relax their performance standards, they even relax their ethical standards. Uh, in one study, like we found that people literally cut corners in the middle. That is, we gave people five shapes, like drawn on paper and a pair of scissors, and they had to cut them. And the first shape looked great. The last shape was pretty decent. In the middle, they literally cut corners. Okay? They were not good at their job. And I think that this is a bit with that, like the problem with, with email is that it just doesn't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. I'm just like on the treadmill, keep going. It helps to find some markers, some uh, uh, beginnings, some ends, okay, that uh, set your daily goal to uh, uh, answer a certain number of emails or address a certain aspect of the work so that you can achieve it and, and get to to something that you can accomplish, to, to some end. I also want to add that uh, um, we ran a study uh, a few years back in an advertising company when uh, we asked people, that was uh, uh, in Seoul, uh, in, in South Korea, and we asked half of the people to reflect back on what they achieved and the other half to reflect on what they have yet to achieve. So either look at what you've done or what you still have to do. And what we found is that those who looked back were happier with their job. Those who looked ahead were more motivated to move forward. They had higher level of aspiration. And so, yes, they were more frustrated with their current position, but they were also more eager to do something else that's even better. And I thought that that was good. So... They're both getting some good vibes. Can we recap? So the people looking back felt more what? Felt better about what they do. They liked what they do okay. more. Okay, so maybe more satisfied with where we where things stand. And then those who looked forward were more hungry to get after it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they wanted to uh, be on the next level already. They wanted to progress. Interesting. Well, I guess now I want to know in, in terms of their, their behaviors afterwards. Because in some ways... 
you know, feeling good sometimes results in us taking care of business. And other times feeling good results in us chilling out <laughs> and, and, and not pushing it as much. Exactly. And we can predict when we will see each one of them. Okay? The, the less committed people tend to uh, work harder when they feel good about what they do. When they look back and they say, well, I already did some, they, they work harder. The fully committed people uh, are more motivated when they get feedback on what they have not yet uh, done. Yeah, in this study that I told you, we didn't really look at commitment. Everybody was pretty uh, committed. We really just wanted to see how high is their level of aspiration, how much they want to already be doing the next thing. Mm-hmm. This is great. So we've got a lot of nice foundational fundamental principles to, to bear in mind as we're designing goals and, and chasing after them and how we pursue them. I'm curious about sort of in the heat of battle in the moment. It's like, oh, I just don't feel like it. Uh, any tips, tools, stuff to do then and there? I would ask why you uh, you feel like this. Uh, what I don't know. Is, I didn't uh, get a great yeah. night's sleep. Um, oh, I've just been going at it for a while. I'm just kind of tired of it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you say that you didn't get enough sleep, but the way you were pretending to be that person that's unmotivated, it sounded like you... You're just not excited about what's uh, what's ahead of you, okay? It just uh, you look at your day and it seems kind of boring. It's not uh, intrinsically uh, motivating. Uh, if that would be uh, my diagnosis, now notice that I encourage people to run their own diagnosis, but in our play here, I'm diagnosing that what you do is just not exciting for you. So either you bring excitement to what you do or you uh, uh, do something else. You find another path to be successful at your job. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So how does one bring excitement to what you do when it's not there naturally? <laughs> something that you can do are uh, actually pretty easy. Okay? You can try uh, uh, listen to music uh, okay. while you work. Uh, uh, you can try to... Uh, Make your environment more enticing, okay? So that, that put around you uh, uh, images or, or things that make it uh, more fun. In one of our studies, we uh, uh, encouraged uh, students in a math class to listen to music while they were working on their problems. The teachers were unhappy with us, but the students were doing more math problems. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they were more excited about the math. They were more excited about the, the music. We also bought some color pencils. So we, we kind of made it a, a party. So, you know, you, you can make your office more like a party without changing the, the actual work that you need to do. Yeah, that's true. And I guess I'm, I'm thinking about there are times when I'll take a phone call while walking. And so that's kind of more interesting or while if I don't need as much brain power, like while organizing an area, a space, tidying up in terms. So it's sort of like this call, I'm not looking forward to, but there, there is something that I can feel better about in, in doing it that, that works for me. So that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you know, if you think about it, many people go to work to be with other people that they like. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's really 
not about the task. Now, I'm not saying that you should not do something interesting. I think that everybody should try to find something interesting to do, that the work in itself is, is rewarding. Mm-hmm. But in terms of an immediate change that you could do, you could do it with people that you like. Sure. Or tools you like, the colored pencils for the math problems. Like a great pencil makes a, makes an impact, sure. Uh, okay. And then do you have some thoughts when it comes to when we're motivating ourselves versus trying to motivate others? Or do kind of like the same rules and principles apply or are there some distinctions and ways we want to play the game a bit differently based on the target? That's an interesting question. Uh, the main difference is in uh, when we look at incentives, in, in research on incentives, it's easier to think about how to incentivize others than uh, to incentivize uh, yourself. Of course, you can uh, use the wrong incentives for others as well as for yourself. Uh, in, in the book, I give the story of uh, French colonials uh, uh, in Hanoi. They were trying to get rid of, of the rats that were all over the city, which was partially because the way that the French colonials uh, uh, built the city. But anyways, there are rats everywhere, and they decided to have a bounty system by which they give people a cent for a dead rat, actually for the tail of the rat. Mm-hmm. Terrible incentive systems because the way to make money is by bringing dead rats and the way to have dead rats is by first having live rats. And so the residents of Hanoi were breeding rats in order to get the money from the government. So the incentives can backfire and cannot uh, do what we intended them to do, uh, whether we incentivize others or ourselves. But when we incentivize ourselves, that's in particular hard because we are, now we, we often find it hard to think, how will we do that? And this is where I often see people struggling, like, what, what do I give myself and how do I make sure that I don't give it to myself when I don't deserve it? Not impossible, but harder. On the other hand, self-control is is much more uh, in like when incentivizing ourselves. It's, it's almost like you need a referee in terms of like I'm going to have some chocolate when I accomplish this thing. But if you have the chocolate in the corner, it's like well, it's right there. I guess I can just have it now, regardless of whether I, I do the thing. So yeah, I can't. I don't have any clever ideas other than having a referee, a, a, a gatekeeper, <laughs> holder of the chocolate or whatever, monitoring things. Are, are there any other tricks? Uh, I, I think that you are you are referring to uh, uh, having another person uh, helping you, and uh, absolutely uh, having other people is always uh, uh, helpful. Giving gifts to yourself, things that you would not afford on uh, a daily uh, basis, like this uh, coffee that's way too expensive, so you only give it to yourself when you feel that you uh, have done something special. Or, okay, uh, yeah. You know, going to the spa because you exercised a certain number of days uh, uh, this month, which, you know, again, might be something that you, you can afford every week, but is a reward. Yeah. That's harder. Yeah. If it's if it's indulgent and kind of inaccessible, then then that just makes sense in terms of you're you're less likely to say, well, I'm just taking a spa day here on Tuesday. Just that's just happening, as opposed to that requires a little bit of thinking and planning in terms of like the obligations of the day. And uh, yeah, it it really I guess you'd feel more lame <laughs> if you just 
<laughs> took the incentive prematurely as opposed to chocolate, which is something you might do anyway. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Cool. Well, tell me, Isla, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Gosh, so you already realize that I am uh, uh, thinking about many things that people can do to keep themselves motivated. Uh, I will follow your questions because if you just let me talk, we are going to just mm-hmm. like, like... Okay. Well, how about a, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, a favorite quote. You know, let me go with uh, uh, Gramsci. History teaches, but it has no pupils. Hmm. The way I take it is that there is a lot of feedback out there, but we often don't learn. And I, in particular, reminded of this when I uh, looked at how much people uh, learn from negative feedback and from setbacks. And we often think about negative feedback and setback is something that you should just ignore and, and, and keep going. And I say, well, there was some interesting, important lesson there. Have you learned that? Maybe not. So I will go with history teachers, but it has no pupils. Okay. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? We uh, did a study in which we uh, wanted to uh, explore people's aversion to investing in means. Like people want to invest their resources in the thing itself, not in a means to the thing. And so we auctioned a signed book by a University of Chicago economist to some people and they told us how much they are willing to pay and the highest bid is going to get the book. Then we took another group of people from the same population and we auctioned a tote bag, actually a fancy tote bag that contained the same book. And so we asked these people, how much are you willing to pay for the bag that contains this book? People were willing to pay around $25 for the book and uh, around uh, 12 or 13 for the bag and the book. Hmm. Uh, in, <laughs> in economics terms, the, the value of the bag was negative, yeah. right? And, and so that was a very cool illustration of how much we don't like to invest our resources with the thing that is not the thing itself, that is a way to get there. Yeah, I, I'm just going to chew on that for a while. Thank you. Um... It, whew, that that just makes me think about so many businesses <laughs> in terms of you can buy a virtual assistant. This is another business I run. You can pay for a virtual assistant, or you can pay for podcast production, <laughs> and and that that person is doing that thing, and yet how you present it can have wildly different implications for willingness to pay and such, and. That's kind of mind-blowing. Thank you. Whew. All right. And how about a favorite book? I read a lot of novels. So I would say um, my favorite book, um, anything by uh, Elena Ferrante. Maybe the, how does it work? The, the Lying Life of Adults. All right. And uh, if folks want to learn more, get in touch. Where would you point them? That was an important question. Uh, they, they go to my web page, uh, uh, Everything is, is there. Uh, information on, on my book, on my social media, on my research, my, my publications, my teaching, uh, this uh, uh, podcast, uh, uh, hopefully soon. Everything is on ayeletfishback.com. Mm-hmm. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? 
Okay, so like, how can you work better with other people? How can you bring someone to help you, uh, bring someone as your uh, role model, uh, do something in order to connect to, to a person? Uh, your challenge will be to, to do something with another person, either in order to do it better or to connect better to that person. All right. Thank you. Isla, this has been a treat. I, I wish you much luck and motivation in all your pursuits. Thank you very much. I, I hope so. And I very much enjoy talking to you. I love what Islet had to say about the power of looking back like, wow, look how far I've come. That really is super motivating. And I think it really is important to make sure you're doing some kind of tracking so that you have that to see and go, wow, what an improvement I've made. Also love that take on the 80% likelihood of success. A little bit of uncertainty makes it exciting and interesting and a stretch but the vast majority of likelihood being in your favor is some confidence. I think that really rang true when she said it, and I've been looking to set goals accordingly. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP731. Hope to catch you next time, and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.